Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. Happy to be back in your car, your ear, dancing with you, whatever we're doing. I'm sure it's fun because it's about to go down. I've been thinking a lot and having a lot of conversations surrounding people exploring this idea that that they're continuing to do the work, that there's this endless amount of knowledge to be consumed and things to be learned and it never stops. And, you know, it does never stop. That's true that the expansion of ourselves, the expansion of knowledge and wisdom and the integration of it is a never-ending course, you know, and and that can feel a bit daunting or overwhelming because at what point do we just sit back and revel in that we're already here? We're here now. We're already at the destination. And, you know, we're often trying to overcome this moment to get to another one, a better one, and not being present to this moment. And so there is a deliciousness in the curiosity of understanding oneself and how to better oneself. But there's also a beautiful surrender and acceptance to seeing that, yes, we are always a work in progress, but we, were, we are also always a work of art. That part, that part of us that we are not complete or completed or done the work can further fuel and cultivate this sense of unworthiness that, oh, I'm still not there. Oh, my God, I still got to read another book. Oh, my God. In this that becomes part of the internal narrative that is this ever desire to be perfect. And it becomes a large level of compassion for oneself when we can just accept ourselves where we're at and know we are learning. And that delivers compassion to the parts of ourselves that have made mistakes, that are maybe making a mistake right now or uncertain or unaware or whatever it is. But to really be aware of that position that we can take with ourselves and the language that we use within our own heads, where it's not critical of where we're at, but rather observant of where we're at. And that there is both an honoring and a gratitude and an acceptance of what has gotten us here and a desire to create more in the future and move towards something different, more expanded, whatever that is. And so I suppose, uh, no, I don't suppose this is what's happening. Uh, I remind you as I remind myself that we're always the bridge between two places, that it's such a beautiful experience to just be, to just smell the air, to notice the moment, to be here now, and to like revel in the fact that you're listening to this, that that you are putting in the work. Hearing my voice is an act of self-love, which that sounds very arrogant from my side. What I mean is that you may, taking the time to pursue the desire to understand yourself and learn about yourself is an act of self-love. So in this moment, you are just reveling in love. You are marinating in love. You are marinating in the space of what it means to have your own back and to stand up for yourself and to desire more, but to just be. Doesn't it feel good? Fuck, right? It's like, oh man, I don't have to go do that thing. 
You know, the to-do lists we can get lost on, the projects we can get lost in. You're not a problem that's waiting to be solved. You're just the unfolding, the ever-expanding nature of how the universe works. That feels pretty damn good. So, with that said, I do have a request. If you can share whatever episode resonates with you, if this episode resonates with you, that is so helpful to get into more people's ears so we can be thinking about more things and be expanding how we show up. Our own healing is the inspiration for someone else to do the same. So who knows if you share it, who knows what ear it might get into that needed it today. And just the act of you sharing it, uh, tell someone else that you care about them. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating. And that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions. Questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that, that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, The deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. This week I have, man, what a prolific person that I'm having on the podcast this week. A brilliant thinker, brilliant writer, brilliant speaker, brilliant human. So much gratitude that I had the opportunity to dive into his mind. Um, you'll know him as the pen name Young Pueblo. And so I don't want to delay this. It's so good. So without further ado, here is Young Pueblo. I have the very sought-after, highly popular Young Pueblo, also known as Diego Perez. 
And, uh, and I, when I was, so welcome first off. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I'm honestly pretty pumped to be having this conversation with you. I've been looking, I knew that I knew this day would come at some point, but it's waiting for it patiently to happen. I know I've been uh, loving and observing all of your writing and your shares on Instagram. And, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, people love you as a poet, you know, and that's what you're sort of titled by some people, but you're a writer and a speaker. I mean, you write so many different things and you talk about so many different subjects. And I really think of you as a philosopher, you know, because when I read the things you write, they definitely are about musings about the human experience and also so much wisdom. So I appreciate what you do and, and the conversations that you stir within people, within their bodies, with between people and all of those things. So I, so thank you. Thank you too. No, likewise, I've been, I've been, I mean, I've known about you for like, like two and a half, three years, and I've been following along, seeing what you're doing. And it's been really fun growing side by side. So it's like, it's nice that this is actually happening now. Seriously. And the, so the term Young Pueblo, it means young people? <clears throat> yes, it means young people. Right. It's a piece of social commentary. Um, it's something that after I started meditating, I started really feeling how young humanity is as a collective, that we don't know ourselves too well. We don't really treat ourselves well. We don't treat our, each other well. And um, as a whole, we really have a lot of growing up to do. And I think a lot of that work is going to be done on an individual level, like personally with inside of yourself as an individual and also collectively through our actions. So as more and more people grow up and get to know themselves, get to love themselves and really cultivate their minds and release all of these, you know, wounds and baggage that they carry within them, um, they'll be able to be more creative, be more loving, be more self-aware and make much better decisions for their communities, for themselves and for the world as a whole. Because we have a really big, challenging century ahead of us. And um, I think this is really our, our time to step up and grow up. Yeah, I totally agree. And I've never thought of um, society being young as a whole. Mm-hmm. And now that you say that, I, I get that. Because there's sort of an arrogance to consciousness mm-hmm. that we believe we're already complete. That, you know, there's an arrogance to capitalism. Yeah, to absolutely. You know, right, where we don't think that that on a collective, we're actually just really stepping into conscious awareness, that we're really just starting to think about mm-hmm. how we think rather than being reactive. Right. And even like capitalism itself is just another stepping stone. Like it's not, you know, the the highest peak that humanity can hit. It's just another evolutionary stage. And as we get to know ourselves better and realize what more we need to collectively be happy, we'll develop a better system. But it's pretty exciting. I remember when the idea hit me, I was thinking about what we learned as individuals when we first entered school. And like our first teachers were talking kindergarten. They were trying to teach us the simplest things, literally clean up after yourself, don't hit each other, tell the truth, and generally to be kind to one another. And some of us may be able to do these things as individuals, but as a human collective, we don't know how to do these things at all. And they're simple things, but we're going to we have to learn them basically. <laughs> we have no choice. We have no choice. Yeah. I know in a lot of the designs of conflict resolution between people, um, so like the Gottman's research and Harville Hendricks and his partner, what's interesting is they're based off of conflict resolution between countries. Mm. That they're modeled in the same way that I can't go into convincing you about my point till I can actually, uh, to your agreement, repeat your point back to you. 
And so that's kind of a fascinating um, thing to think about that, that because if I correct me if I'm wrong, but what I heard you saying earlier is that really the healing or the growing up of the collective is about the the growing up of the individual first always yes i think that's a that's a massive component that has really been missing historically because there have always been groups of people who've been trying to you know virtuously change the world to become a better place and like keep mm-hmm. pushing it on it's you know basically making humanity more humanistic but a lot of times we have our external virtues but we didn't know how to do internal work you know like psychology is re- like it's something that's developed in the 1900s. You know, it's like Western psychology. Then there's also, you know, Eastern forms of introspective practices, different forms of meditation and whatnot that have been around for thousands of years. But now, you know, Western psychology, Eastern practices, they've become completely globalized. They're all around the world. Any major city that you live in, you can just Google, you know, what can I do about my anxiety? What can I do to better love myself? What can I do, you know, and find something that will start you on your path that will, you know, help you develop a tool or sorry, help you learn a tool that's going to help you develop a home of peace inside of yourself. Where did all of this get born for you? Like, you know, in like before you you started as um, young Pueblo, what was before that? Like, what was the, you know, the, I guess the evolution of that? I think um, the biggest sort of step into this world was when I was 15 years old and I started organizing in Boston, Massachusetts as another young person, part of this organization called Boston Youth Organizing Project. And we really learned how powerful we are when we come around a particular cause. And we were, you know, just a bunch of young people changing our schools, changing laws in our city, just making big, actual, literal change in our material reality. When I saw that we were truly powerful, I started seeing, okay, we can make actual changes, but I still don't feel that good. You know, I still, inside of my own mind, it feels like inside of me and outside of me, something's still missing. There's a key component here. And as I moved out of Boston, went to university, I had to deal with a lot of my internal sadness and anxiety that literally just became so intense and led me down a really, really dark path. So for a while, I was pretty aimless and just sort of wallowing in my own grief and sadness and no particular grief that wasn't caused by any one traumatic moment, but it was just like, biochemical inclination. Like I was just like inclined towards sadness. And Mm -hmm. when I, you know, the more I tried to avoid it, the more I became absorbed with the idea of pleasure and just continue chasing pleasure, chasing pleasure to the point where I was doing so many drugs. I was always partying. I was literally just doing everything I could within my power to run away from myself. And Mm. that led me to just like hitting a massive wall and almost dying at a pretty young age. But then that, you know, going through that pretty harrowing experience uh, literally just made me connect a bunch of dots. Like I started seeing how much, if I don't fix my internal world, even if I'm part of a great group of people, I could potentially weigh that group down. Or if I'm a leader in that group, I could, you know, my greed, my hatred within me could slow our progress down. So I started seeing that the individual healing should be happening alongside the collective healing that the world really needs. Wow. I love that the one of the linchpins of your expansion was the uh, the impact on groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I don't even know where the word now I'm thinking I'm like linchpin. I don't even know where I got that. <laughs> but anyways, um, I'm going to have to look up the, uh, the, the word history on that one. But anyways, so I'm really, I, I'm fascinated by that fact that when you looked at what would motivate you, it was the impact you were having on your collective group that, that if uh, that you limit, if you're a leader and you drag it, if you're uh, within the group and, and that's a new level of accountability because it was the impact you were having on other people that all of a sudden transformed the impact you wanted to have within yourself. Is that, is that right? Definitely. And I, I think I remember once I started, you know, going to meditation courses and really connecting with myself, I saw my own history and started seeing when I did have leadership um, power, like when in, within a group and I was part of these decision-making teams, there were times where like, you know, my ego would get in the way or my need to be thought as correct, even though like I really knew I wasn't. Um, and just these, these, these barriers to being, you know, better, to being more loving, to being more effective as a collective were truly holding me back. And when I started reading more and more of history, I saw that this was not like just, this wasn't just me, this was everyone. There were so many <laughs> groups of people who, you know, beautiful people who would try to make the world a better place. And then they just never did anything to heal themselves, nothing at all. And then sometimes they win and they get power and they become monsters. And this is like a very common trope in history that if you just do not deal with your own inner demons, they end up taking the wheel and you end up making a mess of things. Well, you certainly see that in the role, like more specifically talking about men, you know, this like craving for power, although it can happen for any human in power that they become obsessed. And, but for men, you see that not only within like a CEO position and taking advantage of power, like directors and, you know, those types of things that, that really um, the me too movement was calling Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. You also see it in the spiritual community in, uh, right. Like uh, what is the documentary? Have you watched that on Netflix? Which one? The the yoga the yoga. The yoga. Oh my no, god! I haven't seen that one, but I've I've been really privy to a lot of a lot of what goes on, and this is I don't know. I'm honestly like, I just I one one. I'm really grateful that I'm the organization that I'm associated with, the Vipassana organization, taught by SN Goenka, because he was like a massive role model. You know, he treated people really well was married throughout his whole life. His wife was always next to him. And that's something that I've really like aspire to. Like, I don't want to cause anyone any harm. So that's one of the reasons, you know, like I don't even think of myself as a teacher. I don't, I don't ever hold any retreats. Like I'll do talks and stuff like that, but I'm really careful, especially being a man in this day and age. Like you have to be mindful of the way that you behave because you don't want to make people uncomfortable in any way. You know, with like how you're speaking, the way you're looking at them and just create, like, I really want to walk the earth with a gentle peace. Like, that's like one of my primary goals is like, like, look, like I'm not here to hurt anybody. Like I've directly and indirectly hurt enough people when I was younger and very ignorant. And I still have a lot of ignorance to overcome, but that's just like, and it's interesting, like being a meditator, I feel like, you know, so many people have made mistakes that hopefully there are more and more people in my generation who don't make those mistakes and really live up to the higher ideals that we're striving to embody. 
Well, yeah, and we have to keep people around us who call us forward to those spaces yeah. of saying like, hey, I noticed that you're taking advantage of this mm-hmm. or doing this. Like, I only surround myself with people who call my shit out because I think it's such an important thing to have because yeah. you can't see what you're, you can't, you know, it's like that saying, you can't see the forest when you're in the trees. <laughs> I, and I really. Uh, it, yeah, I was going to say, I only like being around people who are not impressed by me. Um, that's my, right. like, that's my jam. Like I, you know, I, I have the same friends. My, I always, um, my wife is always with me and she's probably like the most least impressed by like everything. That I'm <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's really, it's, it's a necessity. Well, and that just when, when one starts to think about how they think and they start to share those musings or whatever it is, cause that was certainly how my work was birth was from sharing yeah, writing right. and, and those types of things. And that you see that you're always the student, like the universe will remind you with a cosmic two by four to the face. Mm -hmm. If you think you got it figured out. Totally. Totally. Um, And I I love that because this is one of the reasons like something I get asked very often is if I'm a meditation teacher and I'm not like, I'm, I'm probably like, I've meditated a lot. I meditate really often. I go to long retreats, but I just do not want to think of myself or act as an actual teacher, because I feel like what I will most gain in this life is being a student and always being a student. I just get so much from the people who, you know, like, I don't know, I've I've never been keen to self like appointed teachers. Um, When someone's just like, you know, I'm here, I'm the teacher. It's just like, I don't know, you know, like I, I much, much (laughs) rather, I much rather enjoy the people who like are given teachership like that are handed to them and them not having asked for it which is something that's common in my tradition is like you know if you ask to be a teacher you're not you're not going to be a teacher it's like when someone calls themselves a guru yeah exactly like i that's that's not my jam and and not to cause any disrespect but just personally for me it's like i i really um i love a good teacher and i don't know if i said that clearly but a teacher that is asked to be a teacher as opposed to them wanting to be a teacher yeah, no, I hear you. It makes total sense. It's it, as you say that I'm like, did I want to be a teacher? I definitely wanted to share my musings about relationship. That was important to me. Like, I like what how I, you do it. Though uh, I feel like it's different. You know, I don't get this um, like power over feeling from you. And you're like, you know, with some people, it's like I'm the teacher and I'm above you and I know better. From like what I'm getting from you is like we're here learning this together. And like this is the thought I had. What do you think? You know, and that feels so inviting to me. That. So that's why I've always been like, oh, I appreciate really that. the way you're doing things. Well, I'd be mindful to say like, I'm in the trenches with you. Like this is not <laughs> a, like I don't have it figured out. I mean, I just went through a breakup in August. Like, Oh really? I, oh wow. Yeah. Like we have to humanize that. And it was so important to me that I was transparent yeah. in my breakup to normalize relationship yeah. endings. Yeah. But it's okay that, that it's part of, life there you know there's no growth without some form of death that's just true you know and and i so what do you find is the thing that because you talk about our sort of youthfulness as a collective and and then how that comes down to an individualistic so curious what do you find is the thing that we struggle with most or what you see in like when you're doing your tours and your talks and, and even on your Instagram, what is the thing that you see mm. is like our greatest, the thing you get most feedback on or inquiry about? 
there's probably two, there's two outstanding ones. One is that, um, and I try to write about this often is just not dealing with change as your enemy. I think people just, when they find something good, man, they will attach to it so hard, you know, they're going to just try to hang on to it so hard. And the reality is that even if it lasts for decades and decades and decades, it will eventually end. And you shouldn't ignore that. You know, like there are so many beautiful marriages, like people have been married for like 60 years, you know, eventually someone passes away. But like it's and there's always some sort of ending, whether it's like, you know, mutual divorce or, you know, something or someone passes away or, you know, whatever happens. But there's everything has a beginning and an end. And that doesn't mean that we should be afraid to like fully enjoy what's happening in front of us. We should totally enjoy it. But with a mindset that's balanced, with a mindset that understands that like, yes, I'm here and this is fantastic, but this is also going to pass away. And you'll find that when you really keep that mindset, you're able to have so much more presence and enjoy it so much more. And when the moment comes that, you know, it's time for it to pass away and end, then you'll be even much more present, much more grateful and be able to be there, you know, for other people who are struggling. But that's something that I found to be so critical is that everything that's good ends and everything that's bad Mm -hmm. ends too, you know? So when you're able to just maintain that understanding of impermanence and able to make change your friend, life gets so much better. The the second big one is um, in regards to identity. I think people, I remember growing up and there were so many people who used to say, you know, I never change. Like I, and they used to be proud of it, you know, just so proud of uh, a static, like sense of identity. And from what I've been coming to understand is that change is so embedded in the fabric of our universe. It literally is the fabric of our universe. Like at the, at the atomic level, everything is changing incredibly rapidly. So when you scale up and you get the human being, the human being is literally composed of rapid, rapid change at the mental level, at the atomic level, at the physical level. So what does that mean for our identities? It means that we're much more like rivers than rocks, right? We're just this sort of flowing Mm -hmm. sense of identity. And so many people, you know, when they have had very difficult traumatic experiences, they want to go back to being their old self, like before that happened, or they're trying to like seek a particular idea of self. And it's more so what I tell people is like, don't worry about finding yourself or going back to who you are, focus on freeing yourself, focus in, focus in on noticing the patterns that you have that are affecting your daily behavior, that are causing you to recreate the past and find some sort of technique that will help you let all of those patterns go so that you can just allow yourself to flow and continue being this, you know, changing, loving being. And it's fine to have virtues and goals and inclinations, but also understand that what a human is, is like, it's a flowing thing, a flowing, changing thing. And not static. Mm. It's very dynamic. To allow your identity to just let it flow, let it let it change. You know, like don't 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 treat yourself like a rock. When you're when you're a rock, and a great challenge comes, you're just going to smash into it, and it's going to hurt. But if you allow yourself to flow, you'll be much more like water. Yeah, especially when you make your identity uh, this static thing. What happens is is you will hold on. Like your identity alone becomes your prison. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, and oh, if, I, if I your don't trauma change. becomes a massive part of your identity, oof, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Yeah, I 
I have a lot of thoughts on that because I definitely see where we create an Instagram account about Mm. that trauma Mm. or even our label or identity of our username or whatever it is Mm. that then it becomes like, I'm the person who does this thing or has Mm. been through this thing. Carolyn Mace has interesting language about that. She calls it woundology. We start to, (laughs) yeah. And she's, it's in her book, Anatomy of the Spirit. And she talks about how, and I believe that she has a blog post on it, but she talks about how we start to use our wounds for connectivity. Uh, And so we lead with them. So she gives an example of like uh, meeting a person at a coffee shop. And in the first, you know, five minutes, they're like, oh, I got to run. I'm going to my meeting for child, for adult survivors of child sexual abuse. And she's like, I, there's no need to tell me that I haven't earned the right to your story. Yeah. But the people will lead with their wound in order to um, create power. But it seems it's a victimized power. So it, it becomes a power which el- forces you to elicit empathy for me. Right. Right. Which is really fascinating when you think about it, because automatically, if someone has done that, they usually yeah. get triggered by that. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, whenever you get triggered by anything we say or anyone says, get curious because you right. got some shit right. going on. Right. How do you find people respond to the concept or the idea of their trauma becoming their identity? That's something that I don't think is popular yet. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think maybe in, in 2021 or 2022, I've noticed now from being online for a few years that people want to go deep, but it takes time. It takes time for people to understand how much they're changing, understand how a lot of the misery that we, even though we've gone through terrible things, a lot of the misery that we suffer is due to our own, our own minds. So there are often times where because we you know, our mind isn't quite cultivated or we don't quite know how to best use our minds. We end up like reliving the same thing. We continue feeding it energy. We don't quite know how to get out of the pattern. And even though the event might have happened once, we just keep compounding it over and over and over. And we're strengthening this imprint that's in the subconscious of our mind and just making it thicker and thicker and thicker. So when we're able, this is something that, you know, I tell people like people have really different entry points into introspective practices. You know, they're, you know, people have experienced very different difficulties, have very different histories, different traumas, different mental conditionings, but there's something out there for you, you know, whether it's honest, radical self-observation, whether it's some form of therapy, whether it's working with some, you know, some individual or a group or, you know, some med- meditation practice, but there's something out there that's going to help you really get to know yourself. And in the act of getting to know yourself, you will develop love for yourself and you're going to start letting go because we're not going to, we're not going to erase these memories, right? Like they're going to be there, but we need to find a way to open up that release valve. So all that tension, all that energy that's embedded with the memory can start dissipating and releasing and we can start feeling a lot lighter in those moments where we used to literally be afraid of those memories they become lessons um lessons that we can mm-hmm. learn from lessons that we can make sure you know like this is something terrible and i'm gonna work to make sure that this doesn't happen to other people or this doesn't happen again to me and i'm gonna gain the skills that i need you know it'll, it'll become something that becomes a point of you know, learning and inspiration as opposed as opposed to a point of difficulty and stress and tension. 
Mm, it's such a, a confronting transition to go from trying to obsessively understand the other side of the trauma rather than why we might have ended up in that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And which is which is not to dismiss that obviously, like, you know, then the reactivity becomes, hey, but I didn't choose that thing. Of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Right. But it's we are responsible for what we do with that thing. Exactly. That's I, I love that that's become like a popular like collective idea is like everyone talking about, yeah, dude, nobody wanted that to happen. But it has happened and now we have to do something about it so that we don't continue perpetuating the cycle and end up like unconsciously or consciously hurting someone else. Well, in that curiosity, you know, the I heard uh, Jordan Peterson say, who obviously causes a lot of uh, uh, <laughs> causes a lot of reactivity in people, mm-hmm. but he does have brilliant things he says uh, often. And one of the things I heard him say that in every time you are reactive, you are invited to a form of mastery because mm-hmm. in your reaction is actually so much wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and in uh, our traumas, because big T, little t traumas, there are there are just invitations for our own expansion. So we obsess why something else or someone else showed up a certain way. Like we love the word narcissist. So we love understanding narcissism, but we don't tend to go into the deep understanding of self of why we're a match for narcissism or why we, um, what cultivated the place that we came from, which I find a lot of people overtly identify as empathic and then it doesn't come with the responsibility of having boundaries. You know, and as soon as you, claim something as as being uh you are you are the victim of something then you 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 sort of remove a bit of the responsibility in the role yeah it's it's you know i mean there's i have a lot of compassion for people who've gone through very difficult things but as oh my a gosh, society yeah. we need to be able to you know even the like the idea of like prisons right people make mistakes they break laws and then we you know, exclude them from society, we remove them from society, as opposed to finding out what's wrong, how can we heal these people? How can we support them? How can we help them really make sure that this doesn't happen again? And even notice, like noticing, there are so many studies done, like prisons don't help people, they, you know, they, they, they perpetuate uh, the same type of environment that will continue creating more criminality. So, to me, it's really important that even outside of prisons, like like I don't believe prisons should exist. I think we should create a society where prisons don't exist, where we don't have the type of intense poverty or the intense social situations that create people who cause harm, right? So we should challenge ourselves to really like build a better world. But even in, in our group, like the people that we live alongside of, we still shouldn't have a carceral mentality, right? If someone mm. makes a big mistake, like that's not the end of their life. You know, like they, they, people come out of that. Like we've all, like, we're so immensely imperfect, right? We're bound to make mistakes. We're bound to even hurt people. And our job as human beings is to become more and more self-aware so that we can notice when we're about to hurt someone so that we don't make those mistakes again and again and again. But it's so easy to unconsciously and you know unintentionally harm someone even within relationships right like we don't know each other that well we don't know ourselves very well so it's so easy to say something that someone takes the wrong way and is very hurt by it but when we cultivate that individual self-knowing right that self-awareness we're able to just make 
a lot better decisions. And it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we end up being fake or anything like that. We just become so much more self-aware and compassionate with our words that we can decrease the amount of unintentional harm. Because like unintentional harm is a real thing. It's massive. It's happening all the time. And it can be improved upon, but it requires a lot of individual work. And then like collective, like holding space and getting to know each other better, especially within our friendship groups and our intimate relationships. I find that uh, that connection is sort of coupled when I think about as a collective, we are really much in a state of like call out culture that, right. that, right. Like as soon as in cancel culture, that as soon mm-hmm. as someone does or says something, or we find out that they did something 16 mm-hmm. years ago or four years ago, that we completely dismiss who they are today. Mm-hmm. And, and of course there are, we should always hold people accountable to their behaviors, right? Right. There's nothing wrong with that. You, people should be accountable to each other, but to this, to say that this person who made this mistake will forevermore be, we're done with this person. This person will never be good again. That's just an all right. That's an all out lie, right? Like you can. It doesn't you can, leave room for growth. Yeah, no. And that's the thing is like, we're constantly growing. And a lot of people like they end up making big mistakes and that becomes a catalyst for change. That's when they're like, damn, like I don't ever want to do that again. You know, what can I do to never do that again? Well, I've found that because of that, because we have call out and cancel culture as a collective, what that does is it causes people to hide their stuff that they can most grow. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So if they hide their stuff that they can most grow from that, they probably want to be transparent or about, but as a collective, we said, if you tell us about that thing, I'm done with you. Fuck you. And so what happens is, is then where we, where we have secrecy, we have shame. And so shame just marinates and cultivates and they're not learning from the experience. And also we're not learning from their experience, you know, like it's a, Mm -hmm. and then if, if you can't hold compassion for someone's historical behavior as opposed to like hey don't get me wrong if someone's full of shit and has a past thing they're living a certain way and never owning something from the past i totally get it but this is just that we're so quick to dismiss and because we're so quick to dismiss that means that we're quick to dismiss ourselves right like we can't hold space for their humanity because we are probably we probably have a nice little secret in our own closet that we don't want people to know about everybody does Right. I mean, there's, there's, it's so interesting because we can, there's so much left in our ability to elevate our social circles. You know, like we can learn so much more about how to do two things simultaneously, how to be generally kind and loving and give people second chances and also take no one shit, you know, like Mm -hmm. be able to actively not allow other people to harm you. And that's something that we're learning. Like, it's totally possible to just, you know, be able to hold space for someone and also just make sure that you're not getting hurt. And I think that's something that we're like, a lot of people are collectively working on. And a, a lot of times it's seen on the individual level. Like that's something that my wife and I are constantly working on is we, you know, we, we practice a type of meditation where it's all about deconditioning. And oftentimes a deconditioning process will hurt because you're literally just shedding layers and layers of ego. And sometimes those layers are very dense and you'll feel, you won't feel well. You know, you just, you'll, you'll be meditating, you'll come out and you'll have what we call a storm and you'll, you know, feel the cloudiness of your mind. You, you're kind of like tilting towards anger or sadness. And it's literally because old anger, old sadness is coming out and it's on its way out. But as it's on its way out, it's like passing through the surface of your mind 
and you're feeling it. But in those moments, you know, one thing where what we're practicing now is like being able to just be like, okay, I, I don't feel good right now. Like I'm going to honor the reality that I don't feel great. But at the same time, I'm also going to make sure that I don't treat you poorly because I don't feel good. You know, I'm still going to try to walk gently. I'm going to be open with you and let you know like, hey, I don't feel good. Like one, one thing that I love that my wife does is like, she'll come home and if she doesn't feel good, she's like, she tells me right away. She's like, I don't feel good. And I'm like, great. You know, like, what do you need? Um, mm. Because then that, because instead what it would look like in the past is that she doesn't feel good. She keeps it to herself. Quickly, tension is developing. And then all of a sudden, somehow we're in an argument and it's like my fault or something like that. And in reality, no, it's actually, she wasn't feeling good. She hasn't been feeling good for hours. And it actually had nothing to do with me, but so quickly the mind tries to create these stories. And it's like, how am I going to make this about someone else and not take responsibility for it for myself? But once you develop that level of self-awareness, you can just, you know, let your people know the people that you live with who are around you, your close ones, like, Hey, I don't feel good. And I'm not trying to be mean to anyone. I just want y'all to know so that we can, you know, get through this moment together because eventually it passes and, you know, a storm is a storm. Storms don't last forever. Well, and the the setting the expectation and asking for what you need is then it will generally get met. But if you don't yeah. do that, I mean, you walk in the door and you hide your reactivity because you don't want to ruffle feathers. You don't want to mm-hmm. you don't want to set an expectation and a boundary because you're worried about the other person's feelings. Well, you made their feelings more important than your own. Yeah, I like I like the verbiage of um, open, of honest, calm communication and voluntary commitments. I think um, like. Mm-hmm. It, the, with the with the verbiage of expectations and attachment, like there's so much talk of healthy attachments, but I just don't that that word is such a slippery slope. So much better than you know having healthy attachments, it's like having healthy connections and voluntary commitments. Because with attachments comes coercion, comes control, but with voluntary commitments, like when you connect with somebody that you you know you love them, you feel that you want to be partners with them all of a sudden you have this like voluntary motion to want to be good to them. You know, how can I support your happiness? How, like, what can I do? You know, like, let me know, you know, what, what I can do. And then as opposed to it becoming an expectation and something that's pressed upon you, you rise up and you're like, you know, how can I commit to you? How, how can it come from me? You know, and there can be open communication. Like I need this, I need that, et cetera. But when it comes from a place of voluntary commitment, it's so much healthier in my opinion. Well, it's free love. It's love exactly. that's given rather than mm-hmm. expected. And I know for my past partner and I, I mean, she's just a spectacular human. And in our agreements of relationship, we made a very clear agreement that our relationship would never be a prison, that, mm-hmm. that it wasn't a place you had to stay. It was a place you chose to be in. Mm-hmm. And, and that really was such a shedding, as you were saying, this, um, uh, the shedding away of the things that cause grief. And one thing I really had to just learn through my own process and continue to learn is that there was an expectation that relationships needed to last forever that is created societally and culturally oh, and true. religiously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So within the beginning, and she had been divorced before, and I'm not sharing anything she's not comfortable with me sharing. Um, because she had been divorced before I'd been engaged and that had ended. I mean, I'd had a few relationships that had ended obviously at that point in my life. But what was fascinating is I had to navigate like the guilt and shame of relationships ending. And that's really what opened me up to this work in the first place. But 
I started to see that like, because we expect relationships to last forever once we make a quote unquote commitment, it then causes us to avoid everything that can end the relationship and to get angry or upset with our partner when they might feel like they're feeling trapped. Yeah. yeah. How can you not feel trapped in uh, in often former commitments where I will honor and obey, I will till death do us part. And I really started to think like, um, what what type of death, like a mortal death or an individualistic death, like a death of mm-hmm. belief? Because so many people get married when they're like 18 or 20. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't know who the fuck I was at 18, 20. I'm, I'm 41 now. I'm still, you know, as you said, individual, my, my identity is fluid. Yeah. And, yeah. and just that uh, space of, of knowing that, and I was listening to Harriet Lerner today. Uh, she has a great book I was listening to called Dancing with Intimacy. And in it, she said that there is, there is no ability to operate freely in a relationship if you can't at the same time Uh, believe you can live without the relationship oh that's just so key right Ah, i love that so much um you're making me think about so many things i feel like you're on a very like uh 2025 curve right now you're like way ahead of the time (laughs) like especially Uh talking about you know like I, i think there's definitely space for that where you know you can have a beautiful relationship like some of the past relationships that i had before my wife they were you know great relationships and got so much out of them, but they weren't, they weren't meant to last. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, for different reasons. And, but you know, I've, I've I've, the same now, like I feel very committed to my wife perpetually, but, um, but it's interesting because like you can't expect the same thing out of everyone, right? Like some people may be really inclined towards, you know, long-term monogamy, but other people may not. I mean, and it's funny uh, thinking about like, you've all know Harari's work and, him talking about the extension of life and people living to be like 150 and, you know, having the body of a 60 year old for decades. And Mm. what what does that, what does that really look like? What does that mean for, you know, people who get married in their twenties and then they're 120 and, you know, they're still living life and, you know, what will that look like in the future? But it's, you know, it's something that um, like on the same note too, like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, like I tell my wife, you know, we have this um, interesting belief system where, you know, I don't really believe it's like one life that we're living. I think there are multiple lives. And I, agree. And I was like, if I, you know, if it is so true, like I would hope that we meet early on so that we can be together again. Because my life isn't so much about like, I, I enjoy the the pleasure and comfort that I get from the relationship that I have with my wife. But I think, and and for her, it's the same thing. It's much more, our relationship is much more about wisdom as individuals, right? Like where we spend a lot of time apart. Like I, I think last year, like I spent probably three months worth of, did like three months worth of meditation retreats. And those are times where I'm like totally by myself. She's not there. You know, she also goes to retreats too, but she'll, she has a different work schedule. So she'll go to a different one. So we end up spending a lot of time apart. And that does, and that doesn't include, you know, my me traveling for work and all these things, but I've been learning how being by myself, like you were just saying, like being totally okay, fulfilled by myself makes the time that we're, again, the moments that when we're together, they're so much more enriched. Mm -hmm. There's so much fuller. There's so much more love there. And even in the act of like missing someone in a healthy way, you know, it just feels like, it's like, right. Like this person is awesome. 
And I'm so all about this person that next time I get to hang out, I'm really going to make the most of it. Yeah, that distance creates the allure. And and also that they and you have your own identity, that you have your yeah. own pursuits and passions. Yeah, I I mean, what's been beautiful about the experience I had with Kylie and, I mean, you know, continue to have just through the evolution of our transition of relationship is I loved her. I love her so much that. I could only meet grace in the ending. Like it was mm. like, you know, this real understanding that she had to go, which means yeah. I had to go, you know? So yeah. it wasn't like yeah. this, Oh, you have to go. I'm so mad at you. You are going against our commitments. No, our agreements were, it's not a prison. So yeah. you can come and go. And so when you choose to stay, what a beautiful gift that is. And if you choose to leave, that's also a gift in some way. It has yeah. to be. Um, but in what you were saying about your your wife, what a beautiful um, that that you're doing your thing and her doing her thing doesn't mean that she doesn't want to do things with you. Right. Like you're not right. making it about you and she's not making your choices about her, that there's a collective agreement that says you you honoring yourself actually invites me to honor myself. Yeah. And it's and the, when we actually started realizing that, so like I didn't I didn't start writing about relationships like that's a newer phenomenon like I spent a lot of time the first parts of my writing career just writing about personal transformation like as an individual and because I knew like like I always place like all of my writing within the framework of like how can we make the whole world better like what can I do what's my little piece that I can add to trying to make the world a better place and that's you know individual transformation and now I've realized this component of relationships right like how can we treat our friends better how can we treat each other better. And from there stems the wider circle of society. But when I started writing about relationships, it came about through the natural process of my wife and I growing up as individuals and realizing that, yes, we've always had a good relationship, but there were there was so much like unintentional harm that we caused because we just did not know ourselves as individuals. I mean, we spent five years together before we started meditating. And then the, the time before we started meditating, the time after that, it's like two whole different relationships. Wow. You know, like we, there was always this profound connection, like we wanted to be together. But, and even when we tried to be apart, it just did not work. Um, but we, there was just so much conflict, so much tension, right? Like our egos are just these balls of tension and friction. And when they touch each other, sometimes fires happen, right? Sometimes fi like mm -hmm. fires get lit. And, you know, we would have arg arguments pretty often. And, you know, I wouldn't say to like a completely like unhealthy way, but like in normal relationships, like there are these arguments and different degrees of them. And, but I noticed that when we started doing our individual work, when we both, especially when we both started meditating, we started going on silent 10 day retreats for, we did a number of them before we, we were actually able to meditate daily at home. But when we started doing that daily work, my goodness, the changes in our relationship were rapid wow. because we started seeing like, I was like, oh, right, this isn't your fault at all. This is literally just me. Like, <laughs> I, I literally just... That's that key of humility. Yeah, like, I made this massive story in my head trying to blame this tension that I'm feeling inside of myself. And somehow I'm like jumping through hoops trying to make it your fault. And now I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. I'm, my mind is a theater and I'm falling for it. Like I'm falling for the show. So wow. being able to understand that 
has created so much more harmony. And like, of course, we still have like, you know, arguments or disagreements, but there's so much more peace that when we try to come together and there's so much more like having the mental power to speak calmly to each other without trying to win. Because that's one thing that I've noticed before when we would argue, my goal was to win. My goal was to like be correct. And I now used to be like that too. And now it's like, dude, like th- literally my goal is to make sure that we're both good. You know, like mm-hmm. how can I fully understand your point? How can I fully explain my point? And how can we both, you know, get what we need to feel better and come out of this together as opposed to just winning? Well, and the truth always lives between the two of us, you know, and the, yeah. the, you know, I used to, I'd rather be right than connected, you know, formally. <laughs> and, and now I'd rather be connected over everything. Like the, it doesn't matter the romantic relationship or the container of the relationship, because, you know, really the magnifying glass to all the things we're not good at is our romantic relationships. Because when we face abandonment and rejection, we are all our deepest unhealed patterns come out. And you know, that's why relationship is too powerful of a growth container to not turn towards and observe your shit. You know, I'm, I, uh, I really see that all of my friendships and my romantic, uh, when I'm in a romantic relationship with my parents, my brother, my sister, uh, geez, even my dog, you know, that there's mm-hmm. this, that all of those are sacred. Those connections are, are sacred. And if I treat them and I want to acknowledge that I didn't always do this. So uh, for anyone like, listening, totally right, like I was, I was definitely a terrible boyfriend in the past and a terrible uh, friend. Me too. And, yeah. and to be able to say, uh, to share this sacred journey together, just by chance that we are in this lifetime, this, like all the miracles that have to happen for us to even exist and to be yeah. consciousness yeah. expressed as a human rather than a rock. We could mm-hmm. be rocks, right? Right, now. right. Odd that we are humans and we choose to be rocks, but the, <laughs> right? Like it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's such a sacred honor that we should treat it with honor, including ourselves, you know, ourselves first, as, as you've expressed. And man, it's a, it's, it's, it's a journey that requires humility because you have to be willing to be wrong and to not know in order to be connected. Totally. One thing that you're making me think about is how, like, I'm inclined to being like the, the term that my friends and I have is monogamatron right? Like I love, I love just like having my partner, just me and her. And like, luckily, I like a transformer of yeah, like a transformer monogamatron, like that's what I'm I'm all about. Or, you know, like you have like some friends who are just like going from one relationship to another. It's always like, and, but what I've noticed is that now that I've found like, you know, my partner and my best friend all in one person, um, for a while, I'm trying to hold myself accountable to being a better friend Mm. because like, I'm so, I get so much out of one relationship that, you know, I go out less. I, you know, don't need to like, I don't need as much social connection to be, you know, to feel fed. Um, And that's for a lot of different reasons, right? Like meditating makes you like, like, makes you really, um, I don't know, capable on your own. And you deal with that inner loneliness because a lot of our loneliness is distance from ourselves. When you start getting rid of that distance by being fully honest with yourself, you feel a lot less loneliness. But um, but I started realizing, okay, even if I'm not lonely anymore, even if I can spend literally months by myself and be totally fine, that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's okay for me to to not be a good friend because mm-hmm. there are so many people who 
have lifted me up in different ways who I have such special connections with friends that I really think of as families that I should be there for them, you know? And, um, it's been so like a beautiful challenge to be like, okay, like, you know, I don't need to, and, and trust me, like I do spend a lot of time like at home, like I don't like going out is like not my favorite thing, but I want to treat my friendships, you know, they're really like plants. And if you don't do your job to water them, they'll die. So mm-hmm. I've been uh, thinking about that a lot. I also remember a really good friend of mine was letting me know, you know, like all his good friends were in partnerships at the same time. He was like, everybody stop calling me. <laughs> and it's just like, dang, dude, like that, you know, like that's, that's really sad. Like, I really feel a lot of compassion towards that. And I'm not trying to be that guy. And I get that because I hear you too. I mean, I remember uh, when I was 17, my girlfriend at the time, or 17 and 18, my friends said that I, you know, that Mm -hmm. term back then, they would call me pussy whipped. That was the term, um, which now we would never say. So don't cancel Mm -hmm. culture me, people, please. That was the term I used when I was at 17. And it was from of the toxic masculinity that we had, Mm -hmm. you know, that we were raised in. And what an opportunity with mindfulness to not use words anymore as you grow exactly. and change. Yeah. Um, but as in, so <laughs> monogamatron, I love that. <laughs> monogamatron, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I was certainly that way. My brother used to say to me, you love love, like as a shaming mm-hmm. sort of way. And I was like, I do. No, I don't, but I really do. And it was easy for me to romanticize and to fall within the space of uh, relationship very easily. You know, and and I I found that love and romance came easily to me, but I think in a lot of ways, one, I have the blessing of having, you know, a rather healthy childhood. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, uh, I'm also, uh, I I think a lot of that was codependence, you know, (laughs) it was like Mm -hmm. this deep dependence on a partner and a longing for them that we celebrate being in a relationship more than not. So then when we enter one, I think we just immerse ourselves in it. We lose ourselves in love often. And I know for me and, and with um, Kai, this was especially a conversation was about how, like, how do you be in love and hold on to who you are? Because as you and your wife have so um, beautifully done is you've created, you've, you've cultivated and maintained your separateness mm-hmm. as, and, and you're part of a greater thing that's growing like a you have an organism that is your love and then you have yourselves who are separate as organisms and without that you would lose yourself within the relationship and then you would not want you would resent your partner for losing yourself unconsciously right so it's fascinating that because i never thought about it in the in the context of friendship that we get so much from our romance that we forget that we get a lot from friendships but our friends get a lot from french our friendships Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that, um, you know, it's like, it's so special, like, you know, like exactly what you were saying before, like, what does it take for you to meet someone and have a deep connection with them? Like, you know, whether it's a romantic one or on a friendship level, like those things are rare, you know, and those things are so beautiful. And they're, um, there are so many causes that go into making that effect, like starting with like the big bang or any, you know, like it's just mm. so many things had to happen for you to like have this conversation or even us right now. Right. So to be able to, be- to bring presence into all those situations and not be like flying into the future or flying into the past or thinking about what's missing or thinking about, you know, what happened before and actually being like right here with you so that we can enjoy this moment together. It's like, 
It's a gift. It's a massive gift. Well, without like being pulled to dopamine hits, like, oh, are there any notifications on our phones right now? You know, and then the anxiety <laughs> that induces that pulls us way away from this. And there's some research looking at uh, what happens when you put your phone on a table even face down or it's in your pocket that you are less vulnerable in the conversation because you're still unconsciously being pulled to the possibility of your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. My jam these days is, um, putting my phone on airplane mode and just like totally unplugging. Like, um, especially when I go to sleep and like, I know like, you know, emergencies can happen and all that stuff, but they're rare. And, and I, just yeah, I have go, airplane mode too. And I just totally unplug and I, it's just the best, best thing because we, the, the, the demands on our personal energy is immense, especially with the internet, with social media. And, you know, like I wrote a post the other day, it's like, is we need to stop treating each other as mach- like machines, you know, on an actual like civil society level, like the way that we work, the way that we you know, conduct business, like we're just like expecting immediate responses from everyone. But you don't know how many people are like are sending messages to this one individual or what's going on in their life. And, you know, having all of this and then compounded with your personal social situations, like friends who are hitting you up, people who are sending you messages on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on, you know, X, Y, and Z, like you can just go on and on. It's literally so much that you have to remember that you're a human being. And human beings take huh. time to walk, right? Like Amen. we can't, I can't just like literally close my eyes and appear in one place and appear in another. Like it takes time. So like, let me consciously take my time. Uh, and not make it about you, you know, mm-hmm. not you make it about you, but them. And mm-hmm. I got a message the other day that someone said, uh, I was really touched by something you said. And I posted a picture of me doing yoga or something uh, outdoors. It was outdoors. And I tagged you in the post and I don't know how big you are, but you didn't take the time to acknowledge it and, and comment on it. And I was really hurt by that. And I deleted the post since then, like to punish me. And I'm like, just spend a fucking day in my world and then tell me like, I can't see 47,000 notifications yeah. I created no someone, way. someone else has a job just purely because I get so overwhelmed yeah. as I'm sure you do too. And I was like, man, don't make this about me. It's good that I've done the work to be like, mm, okay, great. Like, yeah. oh no, you deleted it. I'm so yeah. hurt, you know? But I was like, <laughs> man, how codependent. Like, yeah. I looked at it and I was like, I felt bad, obviously, because I'm like, wow, I mm-hmm. wish I could have acknowledged you and, but I'm not open in that can. But I was just like, wow, this is amazing that me not replying was actually an invitation to their healing because one, I didn't notice and they made it about them, you know, and it's, it's not about me. It wasn't. And I can't possibly, we can't possibly expect someone to meet all our fucking needs, especially someone who's a stranger on the internet yeah, or your match on Tinder. I really, really think like, you know, whether you have, uh, you know, whether you're like, popular on the internet or you're an everyday person on the internet you really don't need to respond to every direct message like there's so many people hitting people up for different reasons that you know obviously it's like on on the other end like you do want to be respectful because people do reach out to you but yeah of course one thing is like finding a healthy medium because like at the end of the day you can't do you can't live your life doing everything that everyone else wants you to do 
right? Like that just sounds unhealthy. And like what I, the way I think about it for my own personal situation is that if I try to respond to every single message every day, my mental health will come crashing down. Like, Same. I, like, Same. I, I it will literally, my, and one time it was so funny. I had this funny conversation with my mom and this was like a year ago. And she was, um, she was like, you should respond to every message. And I was like, uh, mom, I was like, you don't know how many messages I get. <laughs> like it would literally be impossible. And I would have to spend all day. And it's not even just like still not responding. Be. Yeah. It would, it's not even in just like responding, but it's like taking the time to write something thoughtful and all of that. Like we Same. just live in a different, very different time where we have so much access to each other. And uh, again, going back to the, the demands on our personal energy. So to me, it's like, to mediate that, you know, I don't really respond to DMs and, but I will, now what I'm finding is I will find moments where in my stories, if I have like hours where I'm free, um, I'll like take questions or something like that. And I'll just respond on in the stories. But it's just the reality is like, you know, I need to be healthy to even be able to like write these little things that I'm writing. um, So that if I, you know, to be able to provide this, I need to take care of myself. Yeah, I fully agree. Because for me, of course, every message is important to me. But I'm not Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't have 47 employees to uh, reply to every DM being Mm -hmm. me, which is what Gary does. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. there's no way Gary Vaynerchuk is personally replying to everything. I can't buy that. It just doesn't (laughs) make sense to me. But if he is, respect. I respect you, but you're probably not present to a lot of people in your life. And the and I definitely am not calling Gary V out. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, Gary, keep it up. The other side of it, though, is exactly what you said is like, I try to reply to things through all the things I create, through podcasts, right. through Q&A, through, you know, like all the energy that goes into sharing all the things that I love sharing about. And it's such a privilege and an honor to have such a I mean, I have a really amazing community. I love them, as I'm sure you experience right. too. It's a family. It's a big collective family of like, we, uh, yeah. we all give a shit about each other and how we think. I can't believe this, this many people want to grow. That's my thing. It's like, it, but when I have events, it literally, like I leave so inspired because I'm like, shit, like we can really change the world. Like people really, really want to harm themselves and each other less. And they really want to understand and love themselves more, which will only make them make better and better decisions in life, which is like exactly what we need. Oh, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. It's such an honor that the thing that I thought was my greatest dysfunction has become a like <laughs> learning opportunity and yeah. sharing opportunity. I mean, it's a, it's a real privilege. And the, I'm curious, what is, because uh, you spoke about a type of motivation or meditation that you do mm-hmm. that is about deconstructing. Yeah. Um, so what is the type of meditation that you do? It's called uh, Vipassana meditation, and it's taught by S.N. Goenka. It's really just seeing things as they are, like seeing them in a special way, and the special way being seeing them as they actually are without projecting onto them, without imposing onto them, with just really trying your best to observe within the framework of the body. And it's something that's, you know, fully available to any individual. It's they teach the same exact meditation all around the world. There's like about 200 plus centers. And it's, it's truly like an amazing practice. It was, it was uh, a practice that was given by the Buddha to the people, something he used himself to reach enlightenment. And it's, you know, fully available now in the same like ancient way. And 
it's just like, it rocks my world, you know, like I've always loved learning. And I remember when I did my first 10 day course back in July of 2012, when I spoke to my friends, I was like, yo, I learned more in 10 days than I did in four years of college. So I was just like crushed. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And, you know, I've been doing more and more of those courses since then. So Vipassana is the silent meditation, right? Yeah, it's totally silent. You're spending 10 days. You're just cultivating an environment as if you were by yourself. And throughout that whole time, they're giving you meditation instructions so that you're just expanding your concentration, your awareness, and eventually developing insight so that you can better understand reality. Wow. Well, I can tell you, I'm afraid of doing a Vipassana, which means <laughs> I need to do a Vipassana. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's interesting. One thing I learned from that from that experience is that, like, I definitely, you know, that first 10-day course was hard. Like, I, you know, one of the main things I was thinking about was how to escape and, like, how to how to get out of there. But luckily, it didn't come to that. I ended up staying. But it was just so hard, but in such a good way. And I literally felt like when I was done with the course, I felt like I had lost a hundred mental pounds. Like my mind felt so much lighter. And it's just like, I, you know, and I I know it's, it's a very difficult thing, but I've been realizing that even myself, like I'm constantly doubting my own power. And like, if you were to ask someone what their power is, they would probably underestimated by 50%, like hands down. And because it's only in like the most difficult situations, do you really find like, okay, whoa, like I was really able to step up to the challenge or even not difficult situations. But generally, I feel like I feel like throughout the entire world, that one of the most common things is that people just underestimate how powerful they are as individuals and as collectives. Amen to that, that we don't realize that we are living in prisons we build ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not even real. We can walk. I think it's Rumi has that quote that, that mm-hmm. why do you sit in the prison? The door is right there. Why don't you walk? Stories, out? man. Stories. Man, beliefs, prisons. I mean, I've really, you know, in the, in the context of romantic relationships, especially, but I think this is true of, of everything is that I recognize that really the world has, at least in the recent history, not so recent history, being developed around male needs, around male. Oh, totally. I'm glad. I was like, man, we got to talk about patriarchy. (laughs) Right. Like, and so I recognize that there's an immense amount of courage when a woman uh, speaks to her expectations and her needs and her wants, because that was formerly met with being burnt at a stake and being discounted and told she's crazy. And so whenever I invite like a friend or someone I'm working with or a partner to communicate what they need and want, and they do in this sort of anxious, uh, I'm not sure how this is going to go, that that is a leap of generations and not just their healing. That's like they're taking a leap for the feminine. And I'm just like, whoa, that is, I think it's more growth for a man to just sit back and create space for the woman to do that. That has been yeah. my I love experience. I love, I love that you brought up the burning at the stake thing because that was, there's this book that I'm going to read that I've been, um, that's on my to-do list, but it's called Caliban and the Witch. And a lot of it is about how capitalism was developed by, you know, creating restrictions and imposing power over the female body and you know women who were able to like you know who knew like how to be alone and how to like heal themselves and you know had no problem being alone they were just considered witches and you know ostracized from society 
But a lot of what ended up becoming global capitalism began with the imposition of oppression on on the female form. And us as men have to do that work of learning. You know, the totally dude. I'm a real big believer that emotion is the currency of the future. That like the ability to articulate, Ooh, like yeah, right, like this ability to articulate and be present and dance in our own feelings mm-hmm. and not make women responsible for our feelings. Like that's right. so much as we've we've traded connection for our own purpose and and status, and mm-hmm. women have traded their purpose for connection. And so it's really a balance that's having to to recalibrate. And I, you know, I'm inspired by feminist movements and movements like me too, because they're about women reclaiming power. Mm -hmm. They're not about trying to, well, they are calling down power from men, which is great. But us as men, it's like, we can't wait for women to save us anymore. Like we've been making them do the emotional lifting. And this isn't about shaming men. Like as soon as then you hear men's rights being like, stop being a pussy. You didn't have a good relationship with your mom. And I'm like, oh, great. Way to, way to just reinforce everything I'm saying. You know, and it's a, it's a fascinating place we're getting to where I feel I am seeing, and for any men listening to this uh, or anyone who identifies as a man, I am seeing so much inquiry from men. Like I want to yeah. celebrate that, that I am like observing hmm. on my Instagram. I have so many men who are like sharing and shouting out their stuff on my comments. And it's just incredible. You know, what's interesting is that they weren't there before is that on my Instagram too, it's been the same. When I started doing events back in um, three years ago, there were just like, there'd be like one or two or three men. And now it's like slowly becoming 20%, right? It's like, it's like a noticeable. Yeah. And it's, but you know, women really have been the forefront of like, you know, wanting to get to know themselves, wanting to improve themselves and to like actually, you know, be happier and doing the work they need to do to do that. But it's been so interesting, you know, like living that in my own personal life, because there's just been so much like patriarchy and misogyny. It's been like encoded in the mind and you're just like completely unaware of it because that's the way, you know, you've been indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. And then being in a loving relationship and it's like, you know, getting that feedback from my wife and it's, you know, like helping me just overcome all of these different inner obstacles so that I can be, you know, sharing all of this labor. Because one thing that she's realized is she was like, women do too much. Like we do way too much. Like we're, you know, not only working and living full lives, but like, having the the brunt of the labor at home, it's like totally, it's just way too much. So having the, uh, you know, like from the simple things to like, you know, always being attentive of what's happening in the kitchen and doing my part to like share in the cleaning, share in the cooking, share in the cleaning of the household to being present in the conversations that I'm a part of and making sure that I'm giving people space, you know, women's space so that they can, you know, share what's on their minds so that everyone has an equal platform. But, um, it's just like so that the depth of it is quite incredible and in how much we can really go. And one thing that I've been really grounding into as an individual is that in the past, my opinions would be so sharp and so rather like I just felt like I was too rough in the way I would speak, in the way that I would um, act. So my personal goal like as a man has been to just cultivate gentleness, to literally 
become a gentle man. Like, you know, like in, in my, in the way that I choose to act and behave and walk in the world is, you know, how can I say the things that I have to say in a gentle way? How can I interact with people in a gentle way? Because that's something that, you know, you can still be powerful and gentle. And, and that's, you know, people are very different, like, right. People who identify as men, like that we come in all different shapes and sizes and in all different spectrums of character. But I know for myself as an individual, like I was far too rough and now it's my time to, to cultivate gentleness. Yeah, that's such a beautiful invitation and reminder to me because I for sure have been that way previously where I like, I projected my opinions rather than, <laughs> you know, invited. You know, that's, uh, I think, the recovery of wanting to be right rather than connected, mm-hmm. um, wanting to be heard. You know, as the youngest child of my family, I got mm-hmm. louder. Our, my family's already loud, so I just got louder than everyone else. Um, so it's a beautiful invitation and reminder to me to always cultivate gentleness and an open heart in the communication of the things that are true for me, which doesn't mean they're true for someone else. Right. Who knows? Like we all, cause I, I think so much of life is like shifting into a middle path, right? You don't really want to be like edging on extremes because extremes aren't necessarily healthy, but finding your own middle path, like where's your, you know, graceful point of existence because it's going to look different for different people. Wow. I I mean, I've just so incredibly enjoyed this conversation. And Dude, we can talk forever, man. We, I, <laughs> I feel like we could, yeah, we need to set aside yeah. and Joe Rogan it up for like three hours when I'm in New York or you come yeah, out. Yeah. Um, as people enter that gentle path, that path of inquiry, um, I invite anyone who's listening to uh, discover that path through uh, Diego's work as young Pueblo to go out and see, you have so much insight in your writing. And I have noticed your transition to more uh, relational topics, which I've really appreciated because your insight into them has, is incredible. I mean, it's looking at the wounding patterns and all those things. And, and you take uh, very complex uh, structures and systems and simplify them into sort of like uh, espresso shots of, of wisdom. <laughs> and I really love that. So, so for the people listening, uh, where do they find you? Um, first off, thank you so much for that feedback. I really, um, it means a lot coming from you because I, likewise, I really highly, highly appreciate your work and what you're doing in the community that you've built. So thank you. But um, I'm often hanging out on Instagram. Um, that's my main spot. So you can find me at, at Y-U-N-G underscore P-U-E-B-L-O, uh, Young Pueblo. And I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. And, but Instagram is the main place where I share a lot of things that are part of my, you know, first book inward, um, and also new things that I've been writing and working on. Um, but yeah, I have a book that I released that, you know, I'm so grateful that that book was even able to come to fruition because it took a long time to create. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's nice, you know, finding out that a lot of people are finding it quite useful but it's called Inward, I-N-W-A-R-D, and you can find it in bookstores anywhere. And Amazon? And Amazon, yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, so if you're listening and you have achieved some insight and some, and you're curious, go pick up that book. Go check out Young Pueblo on Instagram and all the places where you might do that. And Diego, such a pleasure. Uh, such So grateful that you created and made this time to be here because I know it's the one thing that we can... Uh, not get back. So thank you. 
Yeah, likewise. And let me know when you're in New York City so we can hang out. I will for sure. 